Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sense and Sensitivity. I'm Cece Shia, and this is my co-host, Hannah Stella, and we are in person. I know, it's the weirdest thing. Like, we are in the same room, I guess, my living room, my little kitchenette, even though you guys can't see, but we are recording in person for the first time ever. Hannah, how has your time in New York been? It has been On the whole, really wonderful. I lived in New York starting when I was 18 years old, and it feels like home. It feels like the city that raised me. I am loving the boat, but I also am just so much of a city girl, and it's been so nice to just – this weekend, I went and had like sushi with my sister. I walked around. I literally did like 25,000 steps yesterday just walking. That's the beauty of New York, right, is that you can just keep on doing your day and then you look down and you're like, wait, I totally like got my 10,000 steps or something in, whereas like in the suburbs, that usually never really happens. And I agree with you. I love international travel. I think it's like the place to learn more about the world and about yourself. My fiance and I are actually heading to South Africa on Friday, which I know you have a lot of experience with. Yes, it's going to be so, so, so fun. You're going to absolutely love it. It's beautiful. It's it's so different from here. The animals and everything, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, and we did book a safari ahead of time. So very, very excited for that. And even though I am really excited for this trip, I haven't been on an international vacation since I quit my job, actually. So this is like the first time where I felt more financially stable about everything that was going on to be like, oh, okay, I can book an international vacation and kind of go on this trip. When I worked, I I like to do one international vacation a year. I think it was really grounding to do that. So now we're back into it. But even with that, I love being back in New York. I feel like when we do go away, it's like very enjoyable. But then you get back to New York and it feels like home. It feels like the place that I'm supposed to be. And it's like, I love safari. I I mean, actually, I don't. I love the idea of safari. I haven't gone. <laughs> I love the fantasy of safari. Yeah, I I like it in my head and everyone has said that they they love it. So I feel like I'll love it too, but I don't actually know if I'll love safari, but I love the idea of the fantasy of safari in my head. And I am pretty sure I will love the culture. I'll love learning more about like the history of South Africa, but I will love being home. Like I think the New York weather, the New York air, the things that you can do in New York, it just feels like home to me in a way that even cities I really love and could imagine myself living in like London, it doesn't quite have the same feeling, you know? Yeah, there's just nothing like New York. It's really true. And and that might be just that I've been here for so long. In a world, I think I could definitely live in London. I don't know if I'm an LA girly, but other major cities, they feel so different. Like I love Tokyo. It's one of my favorite places I've ever been, but it feels very different. And New York feels like home. Yeah. And cosine on Tokyo. I feel like Tokyo was like the first place I went to that I was like, this is incredible. And it's so not like any city in the US. I think no, I it's love completely that. completely different. Yeah. It's just like the people are a completely different culture. They like treat you differently, not in a bad way. They just interact with you. Yeah. Yeah. They interact with you differently and the stores are so different. So totally, totally excited for that, but glad to have you back in New York, even though I feel like we had already such an adventure today. (laughs) 
I know. I My old mic had a lot of, like, it was picking up a lot of background noise. So I ordered the same mic that CC uses for same day or, like, one-hour pickup at Best Buy. I went there. They were like, oh, like, actually, they didn't have it, the order ready. And so then they didn't actually have the mic at all, so I couldn't even buy a new one. And then the guy sold me a different mic. And he like seemed like he knew what he was talking about. He was like, this one picks up too much background noise. This one picks up too much background noise. This one has like I, – I actually don't know enough about mics to tell you the characteristics he had problems with. But um, <laughs> he sold me a mic. He was like, this one's great. I was like, great. Love it. Well, you just make sure I have all the cords. If it's USB, I need a USB-C converter because my laptop only has USB-C. He was like, yes, everything you need. I got here. No, not everything I need. It didn't have a cord. So Cece and I went back to Best Buy. I was also in personal crisis. So she was being very kind. I was like on the phone. I was like, Cece, if we're going to record, I just need to talk to my other friend for like 10 minutes. So I'm like on the phone with her. I'm like texting somebody else who's like involved in my situation. I can't get into it, whatever, for legal reasons. I don't know. Anyway, I'm like doing all of this. And Cece is like being my like personal shopper. We go to two different stores. Nobody has the mic plugging cord. And so then we bought a different mic. And now it is 3.14 p.m. And we are starting our podcast recording that was scheduled for noon. Yeah, that's pretty much, you know, just a three hour delay. It's fine. It did give me experience in like, how do I be a personal shopper and a personal assistant, which I actually always thought I would have as a job at some point. There was that weird reality show back when I was, I don't know, maybe even in high school where it was like, I want to be P. Diddy's assistant. That sounds like a nightmare of a job. I've heard horrible things about working for P. Diddy. Not even like I have an insider connection, but I feel like there's a lot of press and stuff. This ties in because we're talking about pop culture, but I feel like there's a lot of press and stuff about that Diddy is not a good, that he has a very brutal way that he like interacts with his employees and that he maybe underpays. I'm sure you're totally right. And had I looked more seriously, I mean, this reality show was like so old. I feel like it was definitely like mid 2000s before a lot of employees and former employees felt like they could speak out about this kind of stuff. Or maybe if I'd gotten the job offer, uh, I would have looked more into it. But I really just thought that being a PA to someone who was a celebrity or famous, I would learn so much about what they did, blah, blah, blah. And it just like, seemed to me like a way to catapult myself into a different realm that I had absolutely no idea how to get into, right? So I think that was the appeal for me. Yes. I also think I have heard that those jobs actually are kind of horrible because it's very – They, I think they pay well, but they're very like 24 hours on doing crazy stuff. But I do think it's a job that you would be very good at if for some reason you decided you wanted that experience for a while. I think that whomever you were assisting would just be like, wow, Cece's the best assistant I've ever had. Is it because I was such a good personal shopper for you today? It was because you were a good personal shopper for me today. It's because you're very organized and on top of things. It's because you have a good calm but very I know I've said organized a bunch of times, but like your disposition is not a lot of people who are, forgive me, are you, do you identify as type A? Is it okay if I refer to you as type A? Oh yeah, I I definitely, someone, (laughs) someone in a comment was like type A. No, you're like type triple A. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to say that I'm type triple A. Exactly. But you don't have the same, there is a 
kind of forceful, bossy quality that a lot of people who are type A and organized have that I wouldn't say it's a great quality, but it's not always a bad quality. But I think it's probably a very bad quality in a personal assistant. And I think that you have all of the good parts of type A without that particular kind of edge to it, which I think is why you would be good at it. Oh, thank you. I feel like all my <laughs> all my watching Devil Wears Prada uh, has paid off. I'm like, how to be the perfect personal assistant. <laughs> well, we succeeded today in getting you a good mic. And it really is actually a mic I'm kind of jealous of. I think it's like what all the pro podcasters use. So we're in good hands. It's heavy. <laughs> it weighs like 18 pounds. But I think it's a good mic as well. So that was our little adventure today. And Going into this week's episode, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about pop culture and a couple of the things that we have been doing deep dives in online and things that we've been reading about and thinking about. So we're going to cover four topics. The first is the HBO show, The Idol. Uh, and this has been something that has just had my own browser in a chokehold. And then second is this is probably something that's had your FYP in a chokehold, Selena versus the Nepo girl gain. I'm sure everyone is actually kind of sick of hearing about it. So we won't go like too much into it. But I do think it kind of has some like interesting things to talk about, including how much we like to pit women against each other, even though they do a bunch of other things. Like Selena got nominated, right, for a Golden Globe. No one is talking about that. Everyone is talking about her supposed feud with Haley, which is distressing. Third topic is Harry and Meghan at the coronation. And lastly, influencer plastic surgery. And this is this is just timely because I don't know, there's just been a lot of plastic surgery. Everybody on my is feet. getting plastic surgery. Can I tell you actually? I haven't told anyone this. I, as soon as I got to New York, I was just like in crisis. Everybody has been making fun of my nose. I, what? I booked, I booked, I have a nose job on the books, but then I realized that we don't take a scalpel to our face within, I think, 18 months of a major life event. So I'm going to cancel the surgery. As long as I cancel it at least four weeks before, I don't have to get, I, I don't lose any money on the rhinoplasty, but I like, I left and I was like, Ooh, you know what? Maybe, maybe like six months post-divorce is not a good time to change the, the center of my face. But they said that the price went up, which whatever, a great doctor. It's actually a phenomenal doctor. That sounds a little sketchy. It, it's not a sketchy doctor. So the price went up if you didn't pay the deposit during the consultation. But if you cancel, then the deposit's 100% refundable. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll schedule the surgery. But I need to cancel it because it is not the moment for me to be getting a nose job. If I'm going to do something crazy, it should probably not permanently alter my physicality. Like if I'm feeling that crazy, I'll get a tattoo. There are lasers. Yeah. Or just cut your hair, dye your hair, get bangs. I think those are the... Oh, I'm dyeing my hair tomorrow. Oh. I already got bangs. I'm growing them out. I'm dyeing my hair back to like a brown color that I had last summer that I know that I like, but... Got it. Okay. I was like, oh, I'm excited for this uh, like little hair transformation. And I think the no major going under the knife within 18 months of a major life change is really smart because I don't know, it's, it's not as reversible as dyeing your hair or even a tattoo, right? Like those are all things that you can fix pretty easily, but I don't know. Surgery also kind of scares me. Yeah, I, I understand that. I'm not 
scared of surgery, I tend to with cosmetic things sort of lean toward the surgical option if I if I want it badly enough to do it, if that makes sense. Getting one of those nose things where they do it with filler, just for me personally, I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do the surgery. But I agree. Surgery is scary. It's always dangerous and you can't 100% predict the results. Yeah. And also, who are these people who are like talking about your nose? Because I like basically want to go hurt them. I think it's just like so just an evil thing to do is to like comment on someone's nose or something that's just like part of their face. Yeah, it was literally one person, but it was something that I've been sort of wanting to do for a long time. And I was like, maybe this is my sign. And then I was like, HD, that definitely was not your sign. HD is Hannah Dale. Dale is my middle name, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Is that how you call yourself HD when you're like giving yourself a talk of some sort? I, that is what my a lot of my friends who I've had for a very long time call me. Not really necessarily even like my closest friends, but my longest term friends in high school and college. I sort of, more so in college, a few people called me HD. I don't know. I use it sometimes. People used to call it, my maiden name is Thompson. And when I was Hannah Dale Thompson, HDT, it was more common because it was like HDTV and I can really act wild and in an attention-seeking way. And so it was kind of a funny initial combo. But yeah, some people call me HD. I don't really call myself anything. I don't I don't have – this is like we're getting way, way to the left, but I don't have an internal, internal monologue. At all? That's so – Wow. I love that. I talk to myself all the time, which is honestly a little unhealthy sometimes. And like I do call myself Cecilia whenever I'm talking to myself because I feel like whenever I do talk to myself, it's a very serious conversation. I love the name Cecilia. Yeah. I don't have an internal monologue. I think – I guess the best way to describe it is that I think in abstractions. Like I'm thinking and I know what I'm thinking about. But I don't mean to sound like Ilaria Baldwin or whatever, but I I don't really think in English if that makes sense. Like, I just think. Do you know there was a thing going on Twitter like a couple months ago where it was this test about if you think an apple, do you see the apple in your head or how clear is the apple in your head? Right. Like, I know exactly what an apple looks like, but I don't see an apple. What about you? I do see it in my mind's eye. I see basically a Honeycrisp apple and it has like one leaf and it kind of just looks like the real thing. It's very odd. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I don't know if I'm doing that or not because I often, not all the time, but often when I'm shopping, there are things that I know I've wanted for like years, like items in my wardrobe or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I want a pair of black pumps. I mean, I, I have those, but I know exactly what I want them to look like and exactly how anything is different from these imaginary ones that I've made up in my head. But I can't really like close my eyes and see them. I couldn't draw them for you because I cannot draw well, but I could instruct an artist who was more talented than I am exactly how to draw them. But that I don't know that I can see them. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's like it's such an interesting experiment. And when you are on one side of the spectrum, you can't really imagine what it's like to be on the other. So and it's like, you know, we get through life like we're both able to write, we're both able to do our lives. And yet. 
So this is the other, whenever I talk to anybody about anything related to this, this is the other thing that I always think. I was reading this years ago, this sort of textbook that was a history. It's not a textbook. It was like a book, but it's a history about evangelicalism in America. It's, I suppose I recommend it if you're deeply interested in that topic, but it's, you don't need to read it. But it's set in there, words are not thoughts. Words are an approximation of thoughts. And so what I also always wonder is when we're talking about a mind's eye or an internal monologue, if we could like switch brains, if you could like give me your thoughts and give me the honey crisp apple for a second, I always wonder, would I be like, oh, this is different? Or would I be like, oh, no, that's exactly what I was saying. I just considered different parts of it important. Or like I just described it differently. Do you know what I mean? Like when I say I don't have an internal monologue, maybe I'm actually describing just differently what everyone who says they have an internal monologue experiences. Yeah. Well, if we ever can do a brain swap for a day, let's <laughs> sign up for it so we can then relate to everyone <laughs> whether this actually plays out. Right. But do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. Like if you translate, if you, if you take like the thing that's before the processing and you give it to someone else, will the thing that's pre-processed be the same or are they fundamentally different? Yes, exactly. If anyone is a neurologist and like knows the answer, please, please. Yeah, I'd be so curious. And now I feel like we're talking about thoughts like food, right? I'm like unprocessed thoughts. We're all about the unprocessed thoughts these days. Clean Pure, safe thoughts. Vegan thoughts. Vegan thoughts. A vegan thoughts actually sounds like sort of a like niche meme account. T-H-O-T thoughts. Yeah. I'm sure there is one. <laughs> if not, we should uh, squat it for Instagram. So yeah, let's I'm do sure that. We're the, I'm sure we're the two right people to start <laughs> the vegan thoughts meme account. I try to be vegan once a week at least. So yeah, that's All right. I'm from Texas. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it, into our topics for this week. Okay. First is something that's totally had my browsers in a chokehold, which is everything going on with the new HBO show, The Idol. The Idol is basically billed as a darker, crazier, and more risque version of Euphoria, which, Hannah, did you watch Euphoria? No. How did you escape the chokehold that Euphoria had on your TikTok FYP? Two or three weeks ago, literally, I tried to watch it and I was with some other people when we were trying to watch and nobody else was really into it. But I just, I don't know. I actually feel like a little bit, there's so much Euphoria discussion in the zeitgeist that I'm like, well, I don't need to watch that. Like, I think it's the same way I feel about Prince Harry's memoir. I know we're talking about Prince Harry later. Like, I bought it. I downloaded it. And I just kind of feel like, uh, I think through osmosis, I've picked up on the highlights. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't read Prince Harry's memoir either, but I did listen to the Celebrity Memoir Book Club about it. And I was like, you know what? I think I get it. Like, I think I think they've just distilled like a five-hour, seven-hour read into an hour, and now I get it. So I think that's true for Euphoria too. But like, you know, the general premise of Euphoria is just like modern-day Skins, right? You watched mm -hmm. Skins back in the day. I did watch Skin. Yeah, I think that's just a classic. But this is – the idol is supposed to be even, like, crazier. And the director is Sam Levinson, who was known for Euphoria's, like, dark, crazy, risque, a bunch of teenagers doing things that teenagers would really 
never do to that extent. The show is really star-studded. Lily Rose Depp is kind of the titular character, and The Weeknd is a cult leader who apparently casts a spell on Depp's character, Jocelyn. And The Weeknd's character is supposedly really similar to the leaders of cults like Nexium and Scientology. Did you actually listen to any of the Nexium stuff because or watch them? I watched I think I watched two of the shows about the Nexium situation as somebody who I'm not a native because I was born in Dallas, but as somebody who grew up in Waco, Texas, I consider like general knowledge of cults my kind of like it's like in my bloodline. That's so true. Why are so many cults in Texas or stationed? Is it just because there's a lot of land? Yeah, a lot of land. There's a lot of conservative religious people. Conservative, I don't mean politically. I mean that there are a lot of people who are religious and members of more more conservative, still mainline Protestant churches. And I think it's also because Texans have very much kind of an independent, like I know better than everybody else does spirit, which perhaps as much as that's counterintuitive, makes them susceptible to somebody who says like, I have an idea that's different from everybody else. And I think it's, I think it's right. They're kind of like, oh yeah, I don't necessarily accept that like the mainstream thing is right. Yeah. I think that's what really fascinated me about Nexium as well is because it happened in just like upstate New York, right? Like it yeah. was here. It looked in the documentary, it was happening in like a cul-de-sac. Like it was yeah. like, it was like, what? Yeah. In Texas, the cults tend to create a settlement. They're not like in Greenwich, Connecticut. Yeah. This was just right here. And it's funny because the trial for the Nexium, Keith Ranieri, it happened pretty close to just where I live. And the day that I went to yoga class during his sentencing, I think my yoga teacher was like, and also this was like during the beginning, she was like, and also Keith Ranieri has just been sentenced. And I was like, what a weird thing to talk about during a yoga class. But yet in the Brooklyn vibe, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And it was like a yoga adjacent. I don't know how to totally. Like, no, it, like was it was like, it, there was like a yoga vibe to that cult. Yeah, it was definitely yoga-esque in some way. Okay, so The Weeknd plays this character who is like Keith Raniere. And according to Rolling Stone, the show was supposed to premiere last fall, but it's just been plagued by delays, reshoots, and rewrites. It's a six-episode series, but the director, the first director, actually, Amy Simitz, who also directed The Girlfriend Experience, which is like a show I absolutely love. I guess it's a law student who kind of is a sugar baby (laughs) on the side. And I just thought like the mix of law with something that is so scandalous, I guess, to traditional society. Yeah. That's beautiful. Like I love when things kind of have this conservatism versus like modern pull. A little tension. Yeah, exactly. This tension. Like how do you be a law student and a sugar baby? Surprise, I actually think there are probably quite a few. But there's something about this tension that makes us like gravitate towards it. But she directed that and I love that show. And she left the series, The Idol, even though roughly 80% of the series had already like finished and they'd spent like $54 million filming it already. And then Sam Levinson took over and basically rewrote and reshot the entire thing and like, oh, wow. Yeah. Scrapped the $54 million project that was like already pretty done. 
little sunk cost fallacy. He, uh, he wasn't falling for it. He was like, it doesn't matter. It, it sucks. Yeah. Well, his – I don't really know how I feel about Sam Levinson, but he does have so much self-confidence. He rewrote the whole thing, reshot the whole thing, and just kind of blew through the original budget. And he kind of just was like, I think that – what are they going to do? They're just going to like HBO loves me. HBO loves Euphoria. They're going to get if they want Euphoria season three, then they're going to let me do this, which is pretty much what happened. But I love it. I love pulling rank. I love a double dare. Right. Which is what I mean. He's he's good at that. I think you're good at that, too. Actually, <laughs> I am <laughs> better than I at least more willing to more willing than I'd like to be sometimes. I'm like, all right. No, I think that's good. I am like not a double dog dare someone person. And sometimes I think it would be better that way. Okay, so Levinson rewrote the whole thing, but a lot of the production members had a huge problem with the rewrite because they said it went from a show about a woman who was finding herself sexually, turned it into a show about a man who gets to abuse this woman and she loves it. Mm. Yeah. Right. Another crew member said the new approach to the show was like any rape fantasy that any toxic man would have in the show. And then the woman comes back for more because it makes her music better. Oh my gosh. I feel like everything that I have specifically to say to this is a little too personal. Like it's it's gonna be like me projecting about like a weird relationship I had when I was 23. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see when it debuts, I suppose. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't know what it looks like yet. And all of this is just hearsay. And it's so funny that there's so much speculation and so much discord in something that hasn't even seen the light of day yet. And we'll see how it goes. But some of the writers were saying that the production got so off the rails that they would be driving home. And then the next day, they wouldn't even know what they were shooting or they would be told that they were shooting a scene, but the scene hasn't even been written yet. And I just can't imagine working under that condition. I mean, Hannah, you know, like I totally do our outlines at least a day in advance. And I, uh, it gives me like so much stress to think about not knowing what you're going to shoot the next day. It does seem like a crazy way to – I've never like been an actor, but it does seem like a crazy way to work. Yeah. And I haven't been an actor either, but I have been talking to people about what being a screenwriter is like or a TV writer because you're working on that. I am. Yeah. No, my book deal, it's gotten some, or I guess my book, when my book deal announced, it got some interest in film TV, which is really exciting. But I was like, okay, you know what? If I want to learn more about this industry, I don't know. I think it might be fun to like work in TV writing. Like I really love TV, so it could be fun to break into, but breaking into is hard. And this is also why I've been following the idol drama because it just seems like an encapsulation of like all the worst parts of being a TV writer and working in this supposedly glamorous field. Totally. Okay. So the second topic I really want to talk about that I'm also honestly a little sick of talking about is just like the Selena versus like the Nepo girl gang situation. Hannah, I don't know how much have you, how much did this show up on your FYP? To use kind of a cringy joke that every millennial uses too much. Everything I know about it has been basically against my will. It shows up. What has been mostly showing up on my For You page is videos of Haley Bieber when she was younger, kind of making fun of Selena when Selena was already famous and she was not famous. And people are outraged by those. My feeling on those specifically is they're mean, but 
she appears to be like about 17 and she's like literally in a coals when she's filming them. She was a jealous 17 year old who like knew this girl was famous and didn't like her because of that. And I was kind of like, okay, not the best, but I don't think it's relevant to this situation. These videos, it's not like Haley is posting them, right? It's not like anyone involved is posting them. It's a lot of like dredged up footage about something that happened years and years ago. And as I looked into a little bit like what started this whole thing i was was just like is that it like is this all okay so here here's how it really started so selena over laminated her eyebrows and she posted a tiktok story of them with like a text overlay like i wish i was as pretty as bella hadid suggesting that her brow lamination resembles bella's high brow look And then Kylie posted it in Instagram story, a screenshot of a FaceTime call, which is like, you know, so many layers of screenshots of a FaceTime call with Hailey Bieber, where both women like were zoomed in on their eyebrows. And Kylie also posted a selfie on Instagram stories, basically writing, this was an accident, question mark, question mark, question mark over her eyebrows. And then so many fans started speculating that this was direct shade by Kylie and Haley to make fun of Selena for her eyebrows. How old are these people? They're like 24, right? I think Selena's like our age. Selena and Haley are like our age. I have one thing that I heard about this. This is not actually my friend sent this to me, and this is not in the genre of things I usually discuss, but I feel like it was on a viral TikTok, so I can bring it up. It is a conspiracy theory. And in terms of the controversy, I do know that Justin Bieber has not been liking Hailey Bieber's Instagrams. <gasps> I heard that. And that's not the conspiracy. There's some song that he has, or maybe it's in like a video that was a joke thing. I don't know. But he says he has a lyric that's like Selena, some other girl he used to date her first name, and my visa, like calling Hailey Bieber his visa. So I heard on TikTok page where people speculate about celebrities that because Justin Bieber is Canadian and while he was legally in the United States, he got like a DUI or a DWI and that he was in danger of getting deported and that he needed to get married ASAP. And Justin and Haley will have been married five years sometime in September, October, like sometime in 2023. And so Basically, this TikTok was speculating that we'll see once he has a U.S. passport where it's very difficult to like you if you have a U.S. passport, even if you're foreign born, like they can't deport you for a DUI. If you don't have a U.S. passport, they can kind of they can deport you because they don't like the way you sneezed more or less. Yeah, that's okay. I don't know how much I believe in conspiracy theories, but that's very interesting. And I will be curious to see what happens, I guess, in August, September when it hits that five-year mark. This even reminds me, I mean, so much of what people do, especially if they're not U.S. citizens in the U.S., has to do with citizenship, right? Like I have friends who are like, oh, I can't leave the U.S. for a couple months because I'm getting my green card. And I guess Mm -hmm. that's a process where right before you get your green card, you can't leave the country for a little bit. Or they take jobs that they might not like so that they'll get a green card sponsorship. And then the moment that they do get their green card, they quit because, yeah, so much of staying in the U.S. and like being a U.S. citizen it just requires so much like procedures, blah, blah, blah. And it's at least nice to see that 
for Justin, even a celebrity like him. He is beholden and has to follow the same rules of immigration as the rest rest of of us in a way. I mean, so this is conjuncture, and I'm actually speaking to a lawyer about it. Joe Guidici, is that how you say it? The like real house husband? He got deported after being in jail, I think because they were divorced. And I think that there are some sort of, like, I think green card holders, because they're not residents, can still get deported for even like relatively minor. I'm not saying a DUI is a minor crime. It's very, very bad to drive drunk, but it's not, you can get deported for that, not just murder or wire fraud on like a massive scale. I wonder if there's, I think that there might be some sort of a different kind of stipulation on the green card if the green card is the visa that you get as the spouse of a citizen that makes it more difficult to deport you for breaking a law. You can't deport somebody's wife because she ran so many red lights it became a a crime. No, I don't I don't think it works like that either and I'm sure a lot of it is also up to the discretion of like the prosecutors and you know if you do deport someone's wife for running a red light the PR backlash from doing that against like the DA's office or wherever you're doing this from it's just not going to be worth I had a partner, a former law partner, who would always say, is the juice worth the squeeze? And it just isn't. So that's vaguely ridiculous. I think I'm in my, just to finish that, well, we can we can talk more, but I think to finish that story, I think I am perhaps coming into my all juice is worth any squeeze era. <laughs> yeah. Hannah's like, I am ready to burn down the estate, burn down the building, even though I own the building. And I'm like, Hannah, stop. Like, don't destroy everything. <laughs> uh, I am. I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to be like Virgo rising, Cancer moon, Virgo rising. Not like I, all of these actually, this is a combo. I'm an Aquarius sun. This is a combo for chaos. I don't get mad very easily, but I'm mad right now. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we'll talk anyway, about that in a future yeah, actually, like, I was like, Cece, like we can't talk about it. It's not appropriate. Like, yes, I'm mad, but I don't want to say something that I'll regret. And, and now everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, like she's baiting us with, it's actually not guys. It's not that much drama. It's not that much drama. Somebody was mean to somebody else that I know, and I am just feeling very defensive of the person that they were not nice to. And I'm just ready to burn it down because the person who somebody was mean to is very close to me, and it's not it's not the vibe. Which actually I think is a nice – foil to the Selena like Haley situation because one thing I had I think maybe it was Coco Moco's podcast I heard this on where she was like why people are so protective of Selena is because they've also been into that situation right where like you break up with someone you've been with them for so long you think you're gonna get married and then they instantly get together with someone else and not just that like they get married to someone else like we've all been in that situation like I still have one ex that I don't know. I just I just cannot really get over fully because it was that type of a situation. And I think that situation drives us all crazy. But why Selena's fans are so heated about this and like why they're attacking Haley, Kylie, et cetera, for all of this is because we project ourselves onto what is happening with Selena. And we're like, you know what? If we can 
make a difference in Selena's life. It's like we stood up for ourselves in our own lives. And I was, I was like, you know what? Yeah, it was, it, that there's something there where it does feel like, oh, someone is hurting this projection of myself, and I want to do something about it. Like I am mad because it also dredges up so much of my own history when it comes to stuff like that. And when you care about someone, I don't know, you like care about someone, and it's hard to undo that. It is. It's true. Speaking of caring about somebody, but having a lot of public drama and not sure where it's going to go, we're not sure if Harry and Meghan are going to go to the coronation. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So like we mentioned before, Harry's memoir, Spare, dishes a lot about the royal family, sheds a negative light on like a lot of the key members, including his brother, Prince William, which is also the future king, and his father, King Charles III, who will be coronated, crowned? Man, is coronated. I don't know. He's gonna like be the official king. Guys, like literally, we decided we were done with this in 1776. And so if it's your hobby to know what it is, like I think that's a very cool hobby and I'm very happy for you. But as a US passport holder, it's my hobby to know about, I guess, like I don't know, hot dogs, which I don't know how those work. Like, I don't know what it is. The real housewives, what's like a US import export? Privatized prisons? Like, I don't know. <laughs> privatized prisons. Let's do an episode on that in the future. That was a joke about how horrible privatized prisons are. That was not a joke about people being incarcerated. Yes, that is that is terrible. And privatized prisons in the U.S. are a horrible system that really benefits no one except for the owners of the private corporations of those prisons. But okay, that's neither here nor there. So ever since Spare was published, and neither Hannah nor I have read it. So there, there is that. But (laughs) if you really want, again, like Hannah said, everything I've learned about this memoir has been vaguely against my will, because you just learn it through osmosis. And if you want a good summary, Celebrity Memoir Book Club, they did a great summary of everything that was happened in the allegations. But after Spare came out, Harry said that he wasn't even sure if like he would be attending the coronation of King Charles III. And the coronation is in May. And he kind of said, there's a lot that can happen between now and then, but the door is always open. The ball is in their court, which kind of seems like ominous. Oh, okay. I've done everything I can. And you're kind of just waiting on the royal family as a whole to respond to this bomb of a book, essentially. I agree. I think that there are a lot of feelings here. It seems like King Charles is very mad, but also feels ambivalent. He took, is it actually called Frogmore? Yeah, it is. Frogmore yeah, Frogmore. Cottage. He basically was like, Harry and Meghan, like, you can't live there anymore. And then he moved Prince Andrew in, who is literally an alleged, no, but he's settled. Like, he's a, he's a I don't have to say alleged, right? He's a pedophile. I think if you settled, it doesn't mean you admit anything. Okay. Prince Andrew is whatever kind of pedophile alleged or not that I'm allowed to say for legal reasons. Like that's what I'm saying is the thing that is allowed. Anyway. (laughs) You can say that he had allegations and then he settled, which you're not supposed to read into settlements and be like, oh, that's an admission of guilt because rarely – like you kind of settle so that you don't have that admission of guilt. But There's also a reason like if you're getting a lot of bad press to just settle to like get rid of it. Yep. This is an aside, but I don't know if this is true anymore. There used to be a lot of doctor's insurance. If they get sued, we'll just like propose a settlement without even looking into whether the doctor's at fault or that it used to be that way when my granddad was a surgeon. 
it's still that way because yeah. the cost of litigation um, for things like malpractice, et cetera, can be so large that unless the amount that is being contested is so large, it makes the legal fees worth it. Sometimes it's just easier to like be like, okay, can we just settle for this amount? And it's not an admission of guilt. You right. can't really say it. So this is why I'm like, oh, Prince Andrew, admission of guilt. Ah, I, I don't know. But like allegations yeah, were made. Yeah, but like there's – okay. There are photos of Prince Andrew with Jeffrey Epstein. That's true. Oh, I don't know. I haven't – Okay. It, well, I don't have a picture in my mind, but I, I believe – I know he's he was – that's the thing is I'm going to check on the Jeffrey Epstein thing, but also he gave – regardless, Prince Andrew is not beloved, like the queen. This is also, I suppose, not an admission of guilt, but he was like her favorite son and the queen like stripped him of his legal royal duty which and is suspicious. Which like, is, that is kind of suspicious. Is which is sus. He's been accused of being, like, a horrible predator. And Prince Charles, who is his brother, I get it, but moved him into, like, Harry and Meghan's old house. And it's not even – do you not have – is there not one person who does PR? Like, does Prince Charles have access to like, the Daily Mail? I think he, according to Harry's book, right, he has a lot of access to the Daily Mail and still has like terrible PR instincts. So that's kind of, you know, Prince King Charles now. I think he's just in his own world a little. And once he and Kamala got to be the senior royals, decided to throw the junior royals, including Harry and Meghan, kind of to the wolves, which is. I don't know. It's I understand that that's just how it's done, but it kind of feels like royal hazing in a way. And to do that to your own son is even more heinous. I feel like if, I mean, if when when I have children, I would want to protect them from everything, even like the worst parts. Even if that's just how it is, I would still want to protect them from that. You know. I agree. I agree. Also, I can confirm Prince Andrew has been photographed on multiple occasions with Jeffrey Epstein. Ew, 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 ew. Ew, we hate to see it. I know, I know, it's the worst. Okay, yeah, so now he's living in Frogmore Cottage, which, by the way, is kind of a funny name, Frogmore. Yeah, that's why I was like, is it really called that? Yeah, I think that's bad optics. I get that, like, the house was empty. Harry and Meghan were not eager to leave, like, sunny Santa Barbara and head to the rainy place where all of their neighbors hate them for spilling the family tea. Like, I get it. But, you know, maybe like a guest house. I don't think Prince Andrew needs to be there. I think that Harry and Meghan will go to the coronation based on that I think as much as they have, like, separated themselves, are doing their own thing, are putting their family and their privacy first, I think that they have technically been invited and I think that they want to be the bigger people. You know what I mean? Like I think that they're – and I'm not I'm not anti-Harry and Meghan, but I think that their PR optics, they're very in touch with PR. I will tell you who would never move into a property associated with Harry and Meghan being the landlords is Prince Andrew. They know. <laughs> they have the Daily Mail. And I think that ultimately if it's clear that they're invited, my opinion is that they'll feel – that the people who say, like, Harry is ungrateful, Harry's a hater, that they'll just pile onto that if he doesn't show up. And so they will go. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think because they have 
they've stepped away from the royal family, which also means that they've stepped away from the money that the royal family gave them to exist. They have to be so much more intentional with how they present themselves, with how they go about their lives. And part of me viewed his memoir with a little bit of suspicion because I was like, well, we all know that you got cut off and you've never had to make your own money ever. So I do think it's almost understandable for the first thing to do when you have that kind of high profile background and no money is to sell a memoir. Right. That's what we would all do, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I also think in terms of when you have somebody who is, I understand all of, I'm not like endorsing massive, massive generational wealth. What I'm saying is that Harry and Meghan, regardless of if they didn't want to be in the public eye, whatever, We're in a situation because of Harry's parents where he and they actually just necessarily have to have bills that are like exponentially higher than yours or mine, right? They need to have security, surveillance, protection, these things that are extremely, extremely expensive. I've never hired one, but I would imagine hiring a bodyguard is like a hundred grand a year. And if you actually need 24 hour bodyguards, they can only work a shift at a time. So you have to have multiples, you have to have high tech surveillance. And that is a fact of Harry's birth in the same way that not every very rich person, but people who are very famous for being very rich, like they're targeted. Like there was people who have that kind of money. Sometimes they do get kidnapped or their children get kidnapped or things like this. They do have a real reason to have security to avoid their children being stolen for ransom. I think that's like less common today, but still like they have a real need for security. And so they have a real need for an income that actually is sort of exponentially higher than even a normal person wanting to be a rich person would. And so if they're cut off and if the palace isn't providing them those resources that unfortunately or fortunately are are just part of the package of who they are, then they have to pursue the paths available to them to acquire those resources, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's more concerning and scarier for me is to have your family be like, okay, we won't provide security for you. I feel like that's a huge F you. Not just to, you know, we don't like you and please don't talk to us. It's we want to put you in a position where now you can be physically in danger. And I feel like the physical endangerment of it is truly horrifying. They know the kinds of people that are out there. They know the types of threats upon life and safety that exist. And to just be like cold turkey, not even like, oh, let's work out something where maybe we like you borrow them for a certain period of time until you figure out you're cutting that off feels like so vindictive and something that honestly my parents in high school probably would have done to me because they were like very into just like cold turkey threats but i'm just like this is you know it's different it's not from cute. It's yeah not the vibe i think you're absolutely right i completely agree i guess the sort of flip side i don't want to say kinder but different slightly different thing is that it's possible that Prince Charles or the queen, I don't know who it was that was in charge of this. I guess the queen was like doing a double dare that she was saying, okay, Harry, fine. Like I double dare you to move to Canada or California or South Africa. I think those are the three countries they were thinking about. I'm not going to do security. And he was like, all right, all right. And then because of pride or whatever, family dynamics, the queen just felt that she couldn't provide him security, which I agree is still probably unethical. 
But I do think it's possible that they were like, oh, this is the card we have in our pocket to make Harry stay. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Basically, they were both being two Hannahs. It's like Hannah versus Hannah. Who's going to blink first? It's not good. Blink. I mean, I'm not going to start, but you should. It's the classic do as I say, not as I do. Yes, always. Okay. And that brings us to our last topic for today, which is just influencer plastic surgery. I don't know about you, Hannah, but like I have seen way more young influencers getting plastic surgery on my FYP and also being very open about the plastic surgery that they are getting, whether it's boob job, lipo, chin lipo, which I didn't even realize was a thing. I've gotten that. Oh, really? Yeah. What what does it do? So it gives – so mine is not – I went to a very conservative surgeon, which is what I wanted. I'm turning to the sides that if we film this, it will be on camera. So some people have – it's a – oh, I should go this way. Some people have a genetic predisposition where no matter how thin you are, you have a fat deposit right here under your chin. And so you never have a snatched jawline, as they call it. And so if you're young-ish and have – good skin elasticity. They can liposuction this area and it gives you a jawline and gets rid of, I mean, I can still do it if I'm like this, but I used to have, if I was even just looking at the camera, you could see like the double hang down at the bottom. So it gets rid of that. Yeah. It's like a very simple surgery. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I know what it is, but I've seen these procedures on my FYP. And I mean, what motivated you to get your chin lipo? What motivated you to have this consultation for your nose? What makes you think about plastic surgery? So I think they're different. They're different things because they were at different times. When I got my chin, I was not on the internet I mean, I I was on the internet all the time. I was not somebody who is making a career of being on the internet. I was not trying to do that. Or to the extent that you could accuse me of that, it was like in the same way that everybody puts up like funny Instagram stories without even any hashtags, like being like, oh, maybe everybody will just like see this. But I was not actively like trying to pursue any sort of online career. And I just had been very insecure about it. And my ex had a family friend who was a very good cosmetic surgeon in New York. And he was like, you know, if it bothers you so much, just get the surgery. Like it's something, it's not going to actually like really change the way you look. He did not push me into surgery. That's not what I'm saying. He was saying like, I think if it bothers you and I think if it's something where it's not going to change with any sort of quote unquote hard work, which those are loaded and like complicated things about body image, whatever. But he was like, if you think it's going to make you feel better, just do it. And so since he was supportive, I just kind of did it. I'm glad I did it. Then the nose thing was a little bit different. Once you have surgery, it can be a little bit like getting a tattoo. You have to restrain yourself because, you know, you can be like, oh, like I like this tattoo. Like maybe I should get more tattoos. And I think with a lot of like actual celebrities, less so influencers, you see people like Bella Hadid, who seems to have had many very subtle procedures. It seems, obviously she hasn't confirmed them, but it seems like she's had lots of these like tiny little millimeter tweaks that took her from being a beautiful person to an unbelievably, extremely gorgeous person. Yep. It's a certain look, like the Bella Hadid look, like we all know what it is. 
And it's not, for me, it's not about like pursuing the Bella Hadid look specifically, but it's like, oh, should I change a lot of things on my face a millimeter or two, like just a little bit to be like this sort of super optimized version of Hannah? That's very expensive and probably not good to do and also very risky because surgery on your face is surgery on your face, same with your body, and it can be very hard to undo those things if you do them. So I've done the chin. As I told you, I'm going to cancel the nose. (laughs) But I think then the other part of it is I have little things that I want to change about my nose. And because of our work, sometimes people are trying to be mean and point out, honestly, I think a lot of the time they're just guessing it's something that will hurt your feelings. And then they're occasionally right. If somebody ever comments, get a nose job, I'm like, oh, maybe I should. And that's my own issue. But right, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, you do get just so many comments about your face all the time or how you look like. I just think it's kind of the lowest hanging fruit of retorts and like trolling on the internet. But it does get to you kind of after a while. Like I got a lot of comments sometimes about my lipstick color was terrible or like my lip color was terrible or like I should wear a different lip gloss. It really hurt because I was like, I'm not even wearing lip gloss. Like they're just like someone actually- my lips. Yeah, no, someone actually was like, why are your lips like that? Do you eat poop? And I was like, oh my God, this is like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And now I'm like really self-conscious about my lip color, which is- I think you have beautiful lip color. Do you ever, have you ever been accused of having a cosmetic procedure that you have not had? I haven't, but I don't center a lot of my content around, I guess, what I wear or what I like, you know, beauty, which I think subjects you a little bit more to those types of things. I do get accused about, you know, I think my corollary is people lie about or people accuse me of lying about like my income or like how, what I've done for work, all of that, because I center a lot of that stuff in my content. So I think it's just like inherently, if you show your body or like show your face, you will, or, you know, show your career, you will get people who accuse you of lying about that. Yeah, I sometimes – it kind of goes through phases, but I I get people who think that I have had lip injections or I'll get DMs that say like, who is your injector in NYC? Like I want your same lips. And I don't think it's rude. I don't think it's bad to have lip injections, but I feel very strongly – for me personally, I really don't think anything about other people doing it. But I feel very strongly personally about I don't use filters on my – photos or videos or stories or anything. And if I do very occasionally use a filter, I try and use one that has something crazy where you know it's a filter, right? You don't even use beauty mode, the like built-in filter? So I thought that I wasn't. And for a long time, this was really embarrassing, for a long time I was using it on my TikToks not realizing it was there. And then I felt really bad about it because I felt like I'd been lying, but I wasn't lying. I was just stupid. It's off now. It's off now. If occasionally it gets – but I don't use the Paris filter. I just think it's, like, good to, like, use the real thing. And if I do use a filter, I will use something – I mean, I wouldn't use the dog filter anymore because that's embarrassing, but I'll use something that, like – Bold glamour. What are your thoughts on bold glamour? You know what? I have put it on and screenshotted it and been like, oh, like, I look pretty good. I've used it on my, like, Instagram story before, but – I I do also think that people thinking it's so crazy is it doesn't seem that different from any other like beauty filter to me. 
Yeah, it's just like being really, really good at putting on your makeup in one way. Like that's what I kind of thought after I put it on. I was like, oh yeah, I guess if I were really good at makeup, I could make that work. And it's interesting that you don't use any filters because I am not, I mean, I try really not to center my content on how I look at all, but I still fall prey to the filters, like the built-in filters. So I think it's a little bit kind of the opposite because I have the opposite because I, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say precisely that I center my content around how I look, but because I do post myself in swimsuits, because I do do makeup, because I do do fashion content, I feel like using filters frequently is being kind of dishonest for me personally versus if I was doing sort of more I know this is different, but like you started kind of talking about law and like big law and stuff. And so then I, then I probably would, do you know what I mean? I just, it feels like, oh, if I'm going to review this moisturizer, I shouldn't have a filter on. I should show people what my face, like I just got a facial where they inject just into the top of your skin, your own plasma, hydrolyronic acid and Botox. And if I'm going to talk about the results of that facial, I need to talk about the results of that facial with my face looking the way that it looks, right? Yeah. It's like kind of the complaint about Michaela Nguera, right? Is that she does a lot of beauty stuff and mm-hmm. beauty reviews, but she also uses a lot of filters, which makes it hard to f- see then what the products are actually doing versus like what the digitization. Filter. Well, because the filter is changing the tiny things that are the difference between like great makeup and phenomenal makeup. And so that's why it's annoying. Also, I just want to say quickly, because it's going to bother me forever if I don't get it in. I was bringing all that up to say that what bothers me when people say I have lip injections is that like I'm saying I don't. And like I try really hard to be honest about the way I really look. And when people – and I've said like I had this surgery and I wouldn't – even if I wasn't going to tell people I got lip injections, I would not say I didn't get them. And it doesn't bother me that people think that or because I think lip injections are bad. It bothers me sometimes because I'm like, I want everybody to know I'm actually like not lying to them. Like I'm not lying. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. And I think what's complicated here, why you don't want to be lying is because there's so much like feminism tied up in both parts of this, right? Like if you get plastic surgery, you want to be like, oh, this is my choice. Like this is my choice as a woman to look the way that I want. But at the same time, you also may be creating a more pressured, less welcoming environment for women elsewhere who don't look a certain way. And it's like this choice feminism versus like welcoming feminism, I would say, that really is the tension when we talk about all of this is like, what do we privilege and what do we do? And can we do one without eroding the other? Right. No, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that where I personally come down on that is that there's so much pressure about the way we look as women in society. And I think my personal feeling is I make my own choices. I do get expensive treatments. I do have some cosmetic enhancements. I make my own choices about where my line is, but that's not a moral judgment for me. And I really don't blame any woman, no matter where she comes down in the spectrum, for making choices that make her easier for her to exist in her body and with her face in a society that cares so much about those things for women. That's just my feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, it's like, 
do what you need to do to feel comfortable in society and also recognize that the ultimate goal is to make society welcoming for everyone, even if you don't have access to the surgeries, even if you don't have access to the expensive like procedure skincare. Like I love getting laser facials and they're like 800, 900 bucks a pop. It's insane. Yeah. Like they're, they're not just readily accessible and it's, it's hard to, when people are like, oh, your skin looks good or you look good, it's hard not to say thank you without then going into like all these other things and all these privileges and things that like mm-hmm. allow you to look that way. Because skincare, like I hate the people who are like, oh, just put on sunscreen. It's like, yeah, that's a large part of it. But also there's so much more behind it as well. Mm-hmm. I think sort of my closing thought responding to what you're saying is that I think everybody should realize there's a ton of pressure. There's a ton of a feeling that you should look a certain way because you see it on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. But I think there's also these people, particularly people with millions of followers and who are going to these like big events who are reaching like almost a Kardashian level. It is their job to look a way that is not attainable for normal people. And so just because they look great doesn't mean it's the same thing is that it's like LeBron's job to work out 70 hours a week or however however much he works out. Just because you're not doing that doesn't do, – does that make sense what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, like this, in the same way that I don't look at LeBron and I'm like, oh, I could be him if I just worked out the same way because I just wouldn't. We need to import that to when we see these people whose jobs it is to look different from us and to kind of like appreciate what they're doing, but then also not impose that same expectation because I don't think most of us would like think that we could be LeBron, right? Right, right. And and even if you could look as sort of over the top beautiful as Bella Hadid if you had if you were on her diet and did her workout plan and had all of her access to surgeries and laser facials and all of that stuff doing all of that stuff is literally a full-time job and so if it's not your job the message is still toxic but for me personally it's helpful to say even though a little bit it kind of is is my job to like sell clothes and skincare and stuff a, a little bit. I'm mostly a writer, but it's helpful to be like, yeah, it's not my job to be a supermodel. And so I can't do the things that a supermodel does to be a supermodel. And so that's okay that I don't look like that. Yeah. And I think it's telling that the men in our society don't look at LeBron or like, I don't know, Chris Pine, any mm-hmm. of the Chris's and think like, oh, I could do that or I need to be that. But I think as a woman, you do often look at, you know, Bella Hadid, the Kardashians, and think I maybe could do that or I should do that at the very least. And that's that's not a fair standard. That's a classic double standard in our society. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. So let's uh it's been great having you in my home, Hannah. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Thank you for having me. But we will see you guys next week. Next week, I will be partially recording from South Africa. So please come by, stay tuned, and I'll tell you a little bit about how South Africa is going. But we will, I think next week we're doing like a, an advice episode, right? So some like yes, Q&As. We, we ask people for advice because of CC's trip. We are pre-recording it. We usually don't pre-record that quickly, that much in advance. We posted on our Instagrams and stuff and asked for questions and we have a good, a good collection of them. So we're really excited to, to give some advice. I think it'll be great because we have different opinions in positive ways. So I think it'll be good for you guys. 
Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening and see you next week. 